Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and once again, I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library studio with Ronnie Kurtz. Ronnie, how are you, brother? Doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. Are, are you sick? I have been sick the past two days. Okay. Does that mean, are you infectious? Nope. Okay. I am uh, not yeah. contagious, and okay. you don't have to be worried. Is it a, is it a tape one? <laughs> There's a tape one I paid way too much for. <laughs> <laughs> Office reference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, that I don't get. Uh, uh, I, I really feel old with with the office references. I told my wife just this last week that I think my spiritual gift is I can think of at least one or two office references for almost any scenario. That's crazy. And maybe I, that's bad. Who I knows? used to be that way with The Simpsons <laughs> because I was a religious <laughs> Simpsons watcher. But I literally there's there's like forty seasons. Yeah. I haven't seen like the last twenty something seasons. That's crazy. I probably dropped out yeah. around season thirteen, maybe. Wow. And uh, so there's there's a lot of things I haven't seen, but I could definitely do that with Seinfeld. Really? Yeah, things I remember Seinfeld stuff. Yeah, so I I think it's probably a generational thing. Yeah, I did watch The Office. I watched the whole the whole uh, series of The Office, but I've never rewatched it. I think oh, that's wow. the problem. So yeah. I'm, you know, my wife and I watched it when it came out, but I've never gone back. So wow. like so like guys like you, it's it's like you're Harry Potter or something. <laughs> For some people, I was listening to another podcast the other day, and they were saying um, Harry Potter's my Harry Potter. Well, they were saying that for millennials, I think for millennials, they were saying uh, Harry Potter series has replaced the Bible as sort of the source book for the moral center or for oh, truth. Really? They are more likely huh. to think of oh, this reminds me of the time Hermione, you know, did whatever, yeah. and their moral uh, calculus is is formulated by that's fascinating by Harry Potter as opposed to the Bible. yeah basically if you're my age yeah you are the same age as Harry as he was going through the story I see so when Harry receives his letter I, I was about the same age as him okay so it really is I mean I, we grew up with Harry Potter did she release the books that way too I mean like they came out when he was a certain age and it would have been three years late later uh, or things like no, that I, I don't think so i okay. think she kind of released it uh, i could be wrong i was see. you know growing up okay. as a teenager so <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so did you have a good christmas this is our first recording yeah uh the people will be hearing this in february i think but yeah. no 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 they'll be hearing this <laughs> next week i think uh but this is our first recording since christmas time so I yeah don't know. great christmas went to southern texas san antonio my in-laws i'll tell you that uh being in san antonio on christmas though 78 degrees and yeah. when I heard um, it's beginning to look like Christmas, I heard um, the weather outside is frightful. And I just thought, <laughs> does it ever actually feel like Christmas in the South? You know, I just, no, usually so, not around that time. I grew yeah. up in Texas and you could have like a hard freeze. Every now and then you get snow like every 10 years or something yeah. like that. Crazy. But, but usually not around, usually la- you know, later, like early in the year rather than around Christmas time. So, and it, but it was warm here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we had a good time. I'm actually getting one of my Christmas presents tonight. Really? Yeah. So I collect uh, the the Starbucks mugs, you yeah. know, like from the different uh-huh. cities and states. And I have some of the older ones, and and uh, um, so everywhere I go, I get you know from that city or that state. And so we have this huge collection, and we have this glass cabinet. But I, I've got too many mugs now; they're stacked on top of each other. So my wife um, hired this guy from our church who does uh, like custom furniture and custom cabinets and things like that. Um, and and they together brainstormed this thing, and he designed this big uh, shelf that goes up, that is like well attached to the wall that I can display all my Starbucks. That's amazing. On. And I didn't even know. Like she showed me a photo of it because 
it wasn't ready. Yeah. She showed it to me on Christmas Day. But wow. T- today it's ready, and I get to go pick it up. And That's amazing. You know, I know. It's, it's really cool. I'm excited about it. Wow. So, Look at that. Um, hey, uh, so it's, it's a new year. Lots of exciting things happening. And what could be more exciting than new books? <laughs> <laughs> You insert awkward transition here. I love it. I yeah. love it. Uh, I have a new book out. That's right. And, speak and, of the and, devil. And speak of the devil. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to say something like, we had a devil of a time over Christmas <laughs> so that you could say, speaking of the devil, you know, but we're, we're just not that smooth. That's right. <laughs> we're Baptists. We just, we're, we're just not that smooth. <laughs> awkward transitions is part of my DNA. That's right. Awkward transition. Um, so you're going to ask me some questions about the book. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about the book. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this book, Jared. Uh, always, I know a lot of our listeners feel the same way. Just appreciate your, your writing ministry. Been blessed by it for years. Looking forward to this one. Um, Jared sent me uh, a PDF of the book, and so I've, I've jumped right into it, and I've already enjoyed it. Prepared some questions for him. Uh, let me just start off with this, uh, because it, it is an interesting book, right? The Gospel According to Satan. Um, <laughs> That's that's going to perk some ears up immediately right when they hear that. So let me just ask, uh, kind of give us the background. Why yeah. why this book? Why now? Yeah. Well, the idea behind it um, was uh, sort of a light bulb moment. So I was at I, it wasn't a Barnes and Noble, but it was a you know brick and mortar secular bookstore. Um, you know, browsing the religion section, which is always you mm. know can always be that's right. uh, you know <laughs> so you're kind of a hot potato yeah. uh, uh, situation. There's you know it's a mixed bag there. And um, and I came across this book. I didn't know that um, the guy who wrote The Shack, William Paul Young, yeah. he had written a nonfiction book, and it was pretty new at the time. Since then, I discovered, like, Tim Challey's reviewed it and some, and some other things. But he wrote a book um, that was called something like Lies Christians Believe About God or something like that, or Lies People Believe About God. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so I picked it up. And it's not a long book, but there's a lot of chapters. Each chapter is probably, like, two, three pages long. And I started looking through the table of contents at some of the things that he, you know, calls lies. These mm. are lies about God. And some of the things were lies. You know, there were some things that I would say, okay, I would agree that's probably not a, a truth or, a, you know, or, or that's a, at best a half truth maybe. Mm-hmm. But some of the things I thought, oh, my word, like these are biblical truths, things like you don't need to be saved and uh, the cross is not about wrath and, uh, you, you know, those sorts of things. And I thought, man, Wow. This is like um, a full frontal attack on the gospel message mm-hmm. itself, and he's positioning it as these are lies about God. And I thought, man, if the devil wrote a book, like <laughs> just yeah. if, if the devil wrote a book, it, it would be like this. And then the light bulb goes off, and I and I began to have these sort of screw tapey thoughts yes, about yeah. what yeah. are some things that um, the devil would want us to think are true, and that we would be inclined to believe. And so I. I you know that kind of flowed into um, you know thinking of Paul in Colossians chapter two warning um, the church about plausible arguments. Mm-hmm. I, I say this to you so you want you will not be led astray by plausible arguments, which is really interesting. You know, and he's speaking about heresies, but heresy that has a ring of truth to it or sounds convincing. So it's not often that the devil confronts us with obvious lies. Mm-hmm. We tend to spot those pretty clearly. Um, or things that are, you know, blatantly, uh, uh, you know, sinful. He he baits, you know, he uses bait. He yeah. he puts, you know, sugar around the poison, so to speak. And so I just started thinking of some things, like what are some things that sound like they could be true or at least are popular, even in Christian circles, 
that um, may even have a hint of truth or a half-truth to them, mm. but really at their core are about self-exaltation and really lies about God that yeah. sound like the truth. So that's where the gospel according to Satan came from. I love it. That yeah. does have definitely a, a screw tape kind of feel to yeah. it. Yeah. I thought about writing it like, in that perspective. And when I, when I first was talking to my agent about it, he said, um, you know, you could do like a new screw tape. And I thought, okay, first of all, there should not be a new screw tape. <laughs> you can't re- recreate. Yeah. Um, and I've done a few short pieces like that for Desiring God and for Table Talk um, where they've said, can you write like a senior demon? And so it's in the spirit of screw tape, but it's really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I can do it for a page or two, like a letter or something. Mm-hmm. But thinking about trying to do a book that way, first of all, it, to me, I would see that as an affront upon yep. what C.S. Lewis has done. But just the, the sheer difficulty of yeah. it, trying to put my head upside down and, and thinking from that perspective. So it's written straightforward. You know, some people look at the title. Like demon. Well, <laughs> 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 not when I'm in the spirit, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but you know, some, you know, some people see the book or, or the idea of the book and they think screw tape and they think it's written from that perspective. And it's not. It's written as a straightforward kind of Christian living mm-hmm. um, um, sort of book. But it does have those sort of um, – it's uh you know has the inspiration I guess of screw tape that's amazing you know, behind and it, yeah. it, it's if I'm not mistaken isn't it like number one on Amazon and Satanism right now I know it's for for like the last month it has been which is just <laughs> fascinating it's number one in demonology and Satanism <laughs> that's amazing so and there's a few other Christian books in that I looked it's like well what else is like yeah what, what are the best selling satanic with? books <laughs> and um, there's a, a couple of like spiritual warfare things Christian spiritual warfare that are in that category as yeah. well. Uh, but then there's like legit, like the satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. And so all I'm thinking is like somebody could see this and, 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 you know, order it thinking, Oh, this is the best selling, you know, Satanism book. Yeah. And, and hear the gospel. Amen. Yeah. And, and, be. E- and either get saved or put me on a hit list. <laughs> <laughs> I end up in some kind of curse or something. You let's, know? let's pray it's the former, not the latter. Let's pray it's the former. Yes. <laughs> so with, with that, with that kind of concept in mind, I would love for you to just kind of talk about um, who, who did you have in mind when you wrote this kind of a book? Yeah. Um, so whenever I write a book like this, um, it's, it's for sort of the Christian living, uh, you know, genre. Um, I have in mind typically the Christian adult, probably early 20s through mid to late 30s, early 40s. Uh, not that people outside that, you know, demographic can't or, or wouldn't enjoy it. Um, but I'm thinking of that generation in particular right now. Um, some of these uh, lies that I mm-hmm. talk about in the book are really popular among more of the younger yeah. um, demographic. You only live once. That's right. You need to live your truth. You know, those sort of things. I feel like the younger generation is particularly susceptible to mm. those things. And one thing I do in the book, just in terms of like, the, you know, the writing style, um, it's a little more uh, in your face than some of my previous really? books are. Yeah, so like Imperfect Disciple and Supernatural Power for everyday, you know for everyday people. Um, those books are written in a more kind of creative nonfiction sort of. Um, I guess I would say friendlier. Yeah. <laughs> style. Uh, I don't think this book is unfriendly, but it's more direct. You've been um, warned, reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are direct. Uh, um, the way I described it previously is if the imperfect disciple is me kind of putting my arm around your shoulder and, and talking to you over coffee, this is me kind of grabbing the reader by the shirt collar okay. and saying, think okay. about this stuff. You got to think about this. Wow. Um, so it is, uh, you know, somewhat of a punchy book. I don't think it's offensive in any um, uh, uh, respect, but it is more direct. 
the writing is more hard edged, and um, I just I'm trying to clear the air. Yeah, because of the nature of the lies, I feel like are are so you know, that we're so susceptible to. It's necessary to be as direct as possible and to be as clear as possible, and perhaps to be a little bit abrasive. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. That's great. Yeah, with with each chapter, as you said, each chapter kind of acts as um, you know one of the lies that that Satan would would have us believe. And so I have I have a list here. I want to read. Kind of the, the the chapters, the lies you have. They are uh, God. God just wants you to be happy. You only live once. You need to live your truth. Your feelings are reality. Your life is what you make it. You need to let go and let God. The cross is not about wrath. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, and, and with with those eight, I, I just I'm curious what you think. As you're writing it, as you're going through these lies, which one do you think is most prevalent in our culture today? Yeah, it's really interesting because there's such a variety. And some of them, you know, the through line in all of the lies is uh, a kind of self-exaltation mm-hmm. or self-enthronement. So they really are self-centered, which is exactly what the devil um, is trying to do with every temptation is get you turned towards yourself away from God. Um, but I think if I had to pick one that would be the most prevalent or would sort of encompass some of the others perhaps under its umbrella, it would be you need to live your truth. Really? Um, even though uh, that phrase, um, I mean, it is a popular phrase. People say, I mean, you hear it on Oprah yeah, and everything else. Right. Um, yeah. Even though that phrase itself may not be as widely adopted, the concept is. That's right. Which yeah. is sort of like I'm defining my reality. And I think we even see it in, in a lot of Christian circles who would see the phrase and object to it based on, for instance, someone on Oprah saying, yeah, I'm, you know, I was born you know, gay, and so I'm going to live a gay lifestyle. I have to live my truth. The Christian would say that's wrong because it's you know, self-centered and sinful, adopting a sinful lifestyle and a sinful um, identity um, contrary to God's holiness. And yet they themselves um, are constantly defining reality that's around right. them according to their own interpretation of these things. I think you see it in a lot of the conspiracy theorizing that happens in Christian circles right now and in, in evangelical circles. I think we see it in a lot of the political idolatry. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just in terms of, of like if someone I don't like is saying something, it cannot be true. Yeah, that's right. And we're, regardless of weighing the facts or anything like that, it's – you know, if you listen to Fox News, they're all liars. If you listen to CNN, they're all liars. And why? Well, it's because I'm a, a Fox News guy or I'm a CNN guy. And really, that's just a manifestation of my tr- – I'm defining yeah. what truth is. That's there's, right. no, there's no objective reality. It's what I perceive as bias, which is really born out of my own bias. And so I think that's probably the most prevalent concept, maybe not the most pre- – you know, most widely said. Yeah, that's right. But the concept itself. But even, um, you know, in terms of what is being said – we have um, we live in what some have called a post-truth kind of age, mm-hmm. which is really um, a, a, a challenge evangelistically and apologetically and missionally for the church, um, where everyone is really trying to do what is right in their own eyes mm-hmm. and try to define reality according to their own sense of morality. Everything's subjective. Everything's relative because it's all centered around ourselves. So I, I think I would say that that's probably the most prevalent. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think you you're you're right on saying that that might not be the most said people are not walking around in evangelical churches saying i have to live my own truth hopefully they've even been discipled to not yeah. think that way but you hear it in churches right so like i mean there's probably pastors listening to this who can think of an example you know if you've been pastoring a while where you're speaking to someone about a situation and they are they just know 
what the reality is. And you know mm. the facts and they are not right. And they just won't listen to That's you. That's right. They're like, well, I just know, you know, <laughs> I know that didn't happen. Or I know this is what they said. Or, and you're like, no, I was there. That's not <laughs> – I mean, it could be an old lady who who would who would never say, "I just have to live my truth," right? That's right. And would and would condemn people who do. And yet, in that moment, she's hey, living her. She truth. just got to live her truth, right? <laughs> um, so I, I I think none of us is really immune to the idea, to the yeah, concept. Yeah. Well, that, that's a perfect segue to my next question because I want to kind of build off that that question that we just talked about, kind of thinking through those chapters. But I want to hear from you personally. This is. Calling you to be transparent on the FTC podcast here, Jared. Yeah. Uh, For you personally, as you wrote through them, what what lie is most easy or most tempting for you to believe? Yeah, I thought about um, this question a little bit, and I think at at different parts of my life, I'm more tempted um, to think of uh, or to embrace the spirit of uh, of any of those, you know, depending on my circumstances. Mm -hmm. But probably the most recurring temptation for me is um, your feelings are reality. Really. I think so because um, I, I tend to be. I think I've gotten a lot better thanks to um, just you know getting older and uh, growing in the Lord and becoming more confident in the gospel. But I'm, I'm a pretty melancholy person. I'm 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 given to that. Mm-hmm. I've been through periods of depression, and there are times in kind of um, in in that cloud where what I'm feeling, I'm thinking like this is it. This is what life is always going to yeah, be like. That's right. Um, or, or I assume, you know, given a circumstantial setback, perhaps in ministry or something like that, um, all I can see is the doom and gloom of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the pain that's, you know, uh, afflicted me in that moment or just the, the hurt of the situation itself, that begins to color everything. And I just cannot see a future beyond that. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I'm really good at, at coaching others through yeah. that, <laughs> Yeah. but speaking the truth of myself. So, you know, as, you know, if I'm talking to a pastor who's in a situation like that, I'll just say, look, um, you, you need to have like the year from now perspective, which is to say what's happening now um, isn't unimportant. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean there aren't things to do or to endure. But in a year, is this going to be a thing? Yeah. And if it's not, then you can scale your own kind of despair to that, which is to say, in a year, this won't be a thing. So I'm, I'm not going to freak out about it right now. Um, and, and sometimes, I, you know, I just don't have that perspective. Mm-hmm. How I feel begins to define my reality for me. I yeah. just think it's always going to be like this. Life's always going to be like that. Um, and and. You know the feelings are, are are much louder in my ears than um, you know my security in Christ or the love of my family or something like that, and I think that's usually the case with kind of depressive right. um, types as well. It's almost like a funhouse mirror. Is you know what you feel or, or or the 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 errant thoughts or the dark thoughts in your brain um, can be deceptive, mm-hmm. and, and it just begins to to kind of drown out really true reality or yeah. kind of the grounding of reality. And just to say, this is my this is my reality. Mm. And so, what I say in the book, especially in that chapter, is to say, um, is not to wipe those feelings away like they're unimportant or to ignore them. Um, feelings are important. That's right. They tell us something important, but they just don't tell us everything. And so, we have to be measuring them according to the truth. And it doesn't make the feelings go away all the time. Uh, it doesn't mean that that you know sad things aren't sad or that hurtful things don't hurt. Um, but it helps us to kind of put them in the perspective of uh, of not being um, enslaved mm. by how we feel, basically. I love that. That's so good. Thanks for the transparency there, brother. Yeah. Hey, let me just give you, as we kind of bring this 
uh, episode to a close. Let me just give you the a chance to say any final words to the reader, any final words about the book. Yeah. Um, you know, one sort of um, lie that I would really sort of say that we need to kind of rally around right now is um, really the the erosion of, of the concept of penal substitution. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a chapter, um, you know, talking about the uh, – the cross is not about wrath. And that was probably the most surprising, um, you know, the popularity of that lie was really surprising yeah, to me. That's right. So to see William Paul Young write about it, okay, yeah. But you've seen in social media circles, especially among some of the more progressive type mm-hmm. um, evangelicals, and um, as they begin to not just say, oh, it's one note among many in the atonement, which of course it is, um, I would say it's the primary node, or in, in my book, Gospel Deeps, I say it's the sharp edge of of the atonement. Um, but to say it's not the only thing about the atonement, you know, that the Bible says, I think that's true. But they're not just saying it's it, it's it, it's a minor note. They're saying it's like it's not it's true. Not, yeah, that's right. It, it it you know it's not a reality. And I've tried to diagnose this. Like I remember this young man coming up to me after I was preaching at a Bible college um, in the Northeast. Um, and I wasn't speaking directly on penal substitution. I just was presenting the gospel and this fellow came up and he wanted to, you know, debate this thing. And he was using the, this language that, um, you know, I now know is like popularized by certain writers and, mm-hmm. you know, about cause, you know, uh, uh, divine child abuse yeah. and, and things like that and a bloodthirsty God and all these sorts of things. And as I was working through with him in, in the moment, and I'm on the fly, I just preached, yeah. I'm tired, and this guy's trying to, you know, he's in my face trying to, you know, debate. And there's a line of people behind him wanting to talk. And and so, like, I just, I'm reeling, and so I'm going through biblically every reference I can think of, you know, about blood atonement, and, you know, yeah. leading up to this. Nothing's landing. You know, the biblical argument isn't isn't landing. Um, you know, so now we're talking about, you know, um, you know, all in and all, you know, you know, all these, you know, uh, uh, theologians and everything else. And I'm, I'm bringing up how, yeah, how even N.T. Wright, who's one of their favorite guys says the cup that, that, that Christ is saying, may the cup pass me by is the cup of God's wrath that even Wright says it's the wrath of God, you know, and, uh, it's like nothing's, <laughs> nothing's working until, and I think it was the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me. Um, I, I made it personal, which is to say, are you a sinner? And he like he stopped it like stopped him in his tracks and he admitted, Yeah, I'm a sinner. And I said, How are your sins forgiven? And he had no answer mm. to the question. And and that so it dawned on me, first of all, um what is at root of this? It's not simply a philosophical or a theological conversation. It is that, but that's on the surface of I think people trying to stiff arm the atonement or the work of Christ in such a way to say, I want to embrace a view of the atonement that has to do with people out there. Yeah. So Christus Victor, which is a true view of the atonement, um, is about the powers and principalities, Christ conquering the forces of darkness. I can embrace that and deny penal substitution. Why? Because I like the ad- wow. idea of Christ conquering those powers and yeah. the principalities, but not about having to reconcile me as someone who stands guilty and condemned before a holy God. And so that's how I saw it. It's like it's a depersonalizing mm. of the cross to eliminate it from your array of views of the atonement. That's good. Um, and so what happens when we eliminate it as one of the views? It, it, we eliminate essentially the gospel's impact on my own life. Mm-hmm. If I can't give an answer how I'm forgiven for my sins, if I can't say because Christ paid the penalty for it, yeah. I'm in real trouble. That's right. And so that's how I began to see that this really is a threat. It's probably not as widespread as some of the other lies, but it's becoming more popular. Yeah. 
And, and so um, I, I would hope readers would take away um, that these aren't just sort of sentimental cliches that I'm trying to puncture with, you know, hard-nosed theology, but I really am trying to think about the human soul and, and, and how that hangs in the balance um, and how the embrace of Christ and his gospel is, is our only hope. Mm, amen. Yeah. That, that's a great place to end. Well, well in there, Jared, thank you for uh, answering the, these questions. Thanks for writing the book. I'm excited to jump in, as I'm sure many of our readers are. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Hey, as always, dear listener, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please recommend us to your friends. Give us a good review. We're on any platform. I used to say on iTunes, but I'm learning fewer people are listening on iTunes to podcasts. I kind of forgot what that was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who listens to iTunes? Apple. Who would ever heard of that? Anyway, give us a good review. Share us with your friends. Every little bit helps. And until next time, be Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.